The Bazaar is an explicit radio program, listener discretion is advised. Welcome! Got something that might interest you. <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome back to the show. I have with me this evening Damien and Rick Foreman. They are both authors and today we will be discussing their recently published book, a lovely fiction anthology, Portraits in Bloodlines. Damien and Rick, welcome, very welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. Doing great this morning. Doing just fantastic. Thank you very much. Absolutely superb. Well, I suppose I always start with the question for those in the audience who might know who you are. Would you like to give a little bit of background? Who would like to start? Yeah, I guess uh, I wouldn't say too many people probably know me, but maybe I've got a, a small name. I published a uh, horror magazine for close to 20 years. Uh, well, I was more of the editor and co-publisher. Uh, it was called 69 Flavors of Paranoia. Yeah, I don't know. We we were pretty well worldwide by the end, but uh, you know, all good things must come to an end. So, well, that sounds like an interesting story that I'm going to have to dive into a little bit later. Damon, what about yourself? Who who are you in this uh, pair? Yeah, so I'm um, I'm clearly the younger clone. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I've you know pretty much been writing for ages. I also do music and significant amount of acting. I went to college very briefly uh, for theater uh, to major in acting and, and do all of that. And then I got poor, so I didn't do that anymore. And College uh, is expensive. It, yes, very expensive. And I'm still working to pay that off. But in any case... Even with scholarships. Even with... <laughs> yes, it's, it's a pain in the ass. In any case... Um, so yeah, after that, I, you know, kind of dropped out of college and started working more heavily on my fiction. And I have also a bit of music that I'm working on, but I work mostly with, with writing. That's what I would like to pursue here on out. And, you know, we recently put out the book here and I'm not the people who have gotten around to reading it have given us really good reviews on it. I mean, you know, our personal buddies and a couple of other extended, uh, you know, their friends and friends of friends and all. So that's just made me real happy about that, and I am continuing to do my writing and hopefully doing some more, and we'll see what the hell happens. Great, and for those who are very bad at context here, I'm talking to a father and son. <laughs> we yeah, haven't yeah, explicitly yeah, mentioned it. Point out, yeah. <laughs> so, Rick, we'll, I suppose we'll start with yourself. How did you uh, initially get started with writing, or what was the genesis for you that you decided to put pen to paper? You know, as a kid, I actually saw Jaws and oh, wanted to make movies so bad. <laughs> uh, we, uh, I lived on the wrong side of the tracks when my parents weren't uh, particularly well-to-do, so we couldn't really afford that. Um, next closest thing I could do was put paper to pen. So I spent about a decade writing really horrible, you know, eight, nine, ten-year-old stories by the time I got 16, I, I finally had a kind of a noticeable quality shift. And uh, a couple of years after that, I, I finally got brave and started sending stories out. And uh, I actually received my first acceptance letter on my 21st birthday. Oh, superb. 
that was an awesome birthday present let me tell you was it all downhill from there then after that <laughs> you know i've never had another one come on my birthdays uh, in that regard definitely excellent and then i suppose it's horror mainly that we're talking about today because i suppose it's a horror sort of podcast you you were mentioning jaws but what else was sucking you in at that age then oh man um you know, movie-wise, uh, yeah, I'm just a horror fanatic. Um, Alien, Aliens, John Carpenter's The Thing, Peter Jackson's The Frighteners, Tales from the Crypt, Crypt movies. I love them. Probably more than I should, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> as far as writing goes, you know, man, I found King when I was about 12 years old, Stephen King. You look and, a little bit uh, like him, actually. People can't see this because it's audio only, but you look a little bit like Stephen King. Is that purpose, <laughs> purposely done? Th thank you. I, I I don't know. I think all horror writers just have that... Uh, <laughs> the the haggard look, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Stephen King, but he really does look a little creepy. You, know? you don't look creepy rick is, is what i'm trying to say you look like him whatever you want to infer from that i didn't say it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'll take it i'll take it excellent and i suppose damien then pretending your old man isn't in the room how did you get into horror was it really just rubbing off chip off the old block kind of thing uh i mean that definitely had a large portion to do with it i mean Frankly, my other set of parents were Freddie and Jason, so I mean, <laughs> in any case, there was there was a lot of that. I, you know, watched all that type of stuff and just like it freaked me the hell out when I was a kid, but I slowly grew into it as I grew up. And, and yeah, I first wanted to, you know, get into writing horror specifically after finding, you know, after this guy sitting next to me uh, introduced me to Stephen King. The first novel that I ever personally chose to read was uh, Stephen King's The Gunslinger. And yeah, that's more fantasy than horror, but that really got me into his other stuff like It and you know, the Tommyknockers and the Regulators. Oh my God, I love the Regulators. But uh, that's that's neither here nor there. Yeah, it's just this, this weird feeling that I get now of just wanting to utterly terrify people. Just I find it so hilarious that I just can't pass it up. Yeah, no, I'd imagine that because that's what people love doing. They love horrifying people because it's... I suppose it's probably one of the most base instincts is fear, really, and it's either laugh or cry. And I think most people laugh when it comes to horror. Would you agree with that? Yeah, the ones that I like, at least, yeah. <laughs> yep, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, in fact, I, I think that's why we've, in part, why we've seen a bit of a resurgence for, uh, or a, um, maybe not a resurgence, but... Uh, a rise in comedy horror as we go along you know a, a lot of us horror fanatics yeah we don't really get scared that easy it's the people who uh don't read horror very often that tend to get more scared by what we write <laughs> mm, definitely and then i suppose we are going to be talking about the collaboration but was there any collaborating before that how long did it take before you decided that you'd um sort of mesh your works together we had for for a long time we had always kind of wanted to do something together uh put together an anthology we 
had really seriously started putting thought into it like what two and a half years ago or so maybe three like that was when we, we yeah. kind of had enough you know i think it was only about two okay okay sorry i have no idea how to keep track of time but um aside from that i mean the the first time we ever actually did try collaborating uh was the first story i ever tried to write actually i was 12 years old and I, you know, at this point I was determined I wanted to write a short story. I wanted to be like my dad and do it. And so I went up to him like, hey, can we write a short story together? And he's like, sure. And so we sat down and did like, I don't know, half a page and then we, we both quit for a while. And then eventually I ended up going back to it and I finished it up and managed to get it published only a couple of weeks later. And that was, that was pretty cool. I really didn't expect that in the slightest, but that was, it was called Bowling Pins. And it was about this kid that goes out to a lake and his with his family for a vacation and the monster under his bed follows him and he makes friends with it and that's that's pretty much the whole story and where was your influence from that then was there a monster under your bed at that age um i mean i just had a general paranoia of any and everything so yeah <laughs> excellent that's the horror writer yeah. <laughs> one of the main uh, pieces in our arsenal paranoia yeah just being afraid of everything conceivable just really helps us when writing yeah it conveys properly exactly and then rick i suppose since you were writing obviously way before damien were you nurturing the little writer all the way along I suppose obviously you have it because we're talking today <laughs> about a collaboration. <laughs> but what was the process? Did you ever tell him like, no, you need to do something else because we're broke? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we 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 really tried with all our kids. Uh, we've got you know, you know me and the ex now uh, have four total, and uh, you know, with all of them, we tried really hard to support them there were definitely times uh when we had to tell them no because we couldn't afford something but uh gosh how many instruments did we get you oh yeah yeah i mean I, my family was able to like actually support my goals and stuff when i was younger i definitely was much more into my musical creations than my fictional ones and so they were able to give me like a violin at one point they got me at least two different two maybe three different basses uh, bass guitars uh, one guitar and electric drum set at one point like i mean back before you know like shit totally hit the fan you know it was, it was, pretty, it was pretty all right yeah yeah, yeah we're talking around America 2008 mess right now wow <laughs> everybody's like us surely that's inspiration for topics like a dystopian future where north korea has nuked the u.s <laughs> um, abs absolutely i uh i do find politics creeping a little more into my writing these days that's for sure mm. and like how does it feel on the ground i suppose going off topic a little bit that uh things are just nearly like a comedy show right now over there from the outside looking in what's it like on the ground oh i mean it's weird it's, it, it's really weird. It's scary. I, I mean, it looks like exactly what was happening in Nazi Germany right before the Nazis took over. Yeah. Man, it's scary. <laughs> you know, I mean, there, there's nothing, you know, there, there's really not much you can do except try to speak out. And yeah, everybody speaks out, but that doesn't do much. You know, you got to take action and 
Nobody yeah, can that, afford to take action these no. days, and it's yeah, I mean, we're a bit <laughs> off-putting to say the least. Yeah, do you yeah, like a, a weapon stash now to form a militia, a two-man militia in the morning, or what's the current <laughs> household situation? Uh, no, no comment. No comment. <laughs> all I need to know. Excellent. <laughs> I'm afraid we're gonna have to shut this interview down. I, uh, <laughs> uh, if I can see it up on the wall, the mantelpiece behind you, a couple of shotguns. No one else can see. Yeah, I was just to say, let's welcome the NSA, FBI, CIA to the conversation now. They were already <laughs> listening before I hit. And I mean, for the first time, hi. Yeah, they're already listening when I hit hit record so don't worry <laughs> right <laughs> yeah these are actually my fbi headsets um in a van outside your house right now <laughs> oh just ignore them they're there every other week so. <laughs> you're getting video from multiple angles heat signatures exactly and i suppose we can we can start talking then i suppose about portraits and bloodlines who wants to give the summary then for someone who might want to go out and buy it boy uh uh, you know, a little tough because it is a book of short stories. Um, it, it does carry probably a couple of, of uh, minor themes throughout. Uh, well, I guess that's uh, that's jumping in a little bit farther. So it's a short story collection, uh, 23 short stories uh, that either Damien or I have written. About half, give or take, have been previously published. Uh, you know, magazines, online, uh, in that book his, anthologies. Yeah, most of those that have been published have been his. A couple of mine, I mean, I think we can chalk that up to just sheer time at this point. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, most of them in here, um, he actually has a larger volume of stories. I think 13 of them, or I'm sorry, um, uh, 12 of them are his and 11 of them are mine. Uh, I just have a couple of, you know, one of my stories happens to be particularly, it's, it's practically a novella. The, one of the last stories in there that's mine is called Mad Cow. And uh, we'll, we'll get to talking to some of the stories in a couple of minutes. But yeah, when it comes down to word count, almost exactly half is his and half will be mine. Right, right. And then whose idea was it to release on 420? Was that a... <laughs> Intentional? It was completely unintentional, actually. We just like, yeah, that sounds like a good Friday. Why not? And it just turned yeah, out to it, be. It, it was kind of just the way things to get, uh, came together. I would actually have rele rather released a week before to put us out on Friday the 13th. Ooh, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, but, you know, hey, 420, that works too. Yeah. So did you celebrate <laughs> with a bowl then? There you go. <laughs> No comment. <laughs> I'll just have to redact most of the interview here. <laughs> All right. You'll be like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, here's the shortest interview I've ever conducted. Just an hour of silence. <laughs> <laughs> you could really say something with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it would be a political statement as we were just talking about. And yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose then talk us through some of the stories that what would like did you make a conscious effort in which order you were putting them in the book is there a certain flavor oh. running through the whole thing or yeah definitely definitely we you know, we spent weeks sitting there and just you know we came up with one list and we would read it through and it's like that's nah, not the right order for the stories and we came up with another list and then we, 
eventually there was one point we were sitting here looking at the computer and my dad had a spreadsheet open and there was just like like three or four different columns and we just kept like rearranging stuff and making these last minute tweaks and we finally found the flow that that works best for us initially when we had a to put this on out it was actually going to work under a different title called heaven hell and things between and we were going to split the stories up into three different sections like bad stories that fit the heavenly blissful aspect one that's very hellish and nightmarish and then one you know the final section that is somewhere in between very bittersweet in tone yeah and yeah and so now with this here we just kind of have a, a much different flow we tried to pair some of the stories together so that you can like you know, as he was starting to say earlier, see some of the themes that tie through in them. And then a couple of the stories themselves actually do link up with other stories as well. I, we won't say how, we'll let you read in and figure out where it's, you know, gets all cool and freaky, but uh, of course. They, they do tie together more than just individual stories. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. And then, like, at the start of the drawing board, like, did you say, let's do a project together? When you were laying out the themes, etc how did you sort of split the work uh I, I'll, I'll, or, yeah, go ahead. no go ahead okay I, I was gonna say um we we actually ended up writing every one of these pieces before we even decided to put the book together okay uh, we were initially going to try and do each our own anthologies of our own works and we just decided that we could try and play it together and see what happens if we do a book together right so I thought that could give it a slightly unique angle being able to uh, sort of compare his work to mine. You can see the similarities, you can see the differences. Uh, I don't know, I, I thought it came out uh, kind of interesting. I don't, I don't want to say too awfully much, but uh, we thought this way, hopefully you could just go in and enjoy each story individually on its own as you kind of would with a, a typical anthology or with this one, because of our relationship, maybe it did give a unique extra depth to the book when you do sort of compare and contrast what we have. Mm. And then you're saying with the compare and contrast in the book itself, does it tell you at the start of each story who's written it or is it up to the reader to sort of pick apart how which way have you laid it out good question we went ahead and left it uh up to the readers to decide right and in terms well, of your style yeah no it's not too terribly difficult to uh work out who wrote what if you want we do have the acknowledgement page up front which says either i published it or he published it previously um, yeah there's notes on the stories at the very end where we, we don't we don't ever like purposefully distinguish each story as to who wrote it but it should be fairly obvious just because there is a difference enough in our voices i think it should be able to be easily distinguished yeah so i suppose we still haven't really talked about plot too much and i know you want to keep it all under your metaphorical hat but try and give us a little tease a tease we'll say what do people have in store give us like a general outline of one or two of the stories okay yeah go, here go ahead you do you do one first ah uh, 
Boy, I, I was, uh, I don't know if you have a good one, go ahead. Yeah. I'm, All uh, right. Uh, well, okay, fine. I'm um, sitting here thinking, on. which one would I want to highlight? Well, okay, I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and start off with just the first of my stories in the book. Um, it's the second story in the book. It's called The Boy and His Bear. And I, that was inspired very much by Theodore Sturgeon's short story, The Professor and the Teddy Bear, by, which my father also happened to show me. Um, it's essentially my story is about this boy and his teddy bear who is a living creature. The teddy bear wants to help the boy by trying to uh, make his parents stop fighting. And uh, the teddy bear figures out how to make him stop fighting and that it does become a bit of an issue because uh, they suddenly disappear and the kid has to deal with that. <laughs> I'm trembling already. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, all right, here, here, here's probably one of what I think is maybe my most unique out of here. I have no idea where I came up with this story, but the strange account of Travis Harlow, painter. Uh, it's a, uh, a, a man, uh, you know, a house painter is all this guy does. Um, you know, that's, that's his job. And, uh, his girlfriend gets snatched by a well-to-do fellow that uh, uh, was a nemesis in high school, basically. And so this guy looks to take revenge, which he does by painting their house. Um, Interesting. <laughs> I'm listening. I, I won't say, yeah, I won't say uh, too much more beyond that because the way what happens is... Uh, well, I, I'm not sure I have ever come across another story like this one. Yeah, I think it's probably the most unique one I've ever written. I'm yeah, so the only thing I'll have to say about that story is it's dripping. <laughs> Ooh, gripping, dripping. Yeah. Like yeah, it. Dude, I like it. Great. So I yeah. suppose no one listening can see, but the book has a nice bit of girth to it. How how big is it for those who might want to pick it up? Yeah, it's, uh, it's your word count would be just about, what, 85,000 words? And then page-wise, it's about uh, 295 pages. Right, and you think it was a good idea in the end not to split it in two like you originally imagined to try and double the money? Uh, I don't know, I definitely I, enjoyed the ride at the very least. And I gotta say, I would rather, I couldn't pick anyone else I would have rather co-published a book with currently, so. Yeah, and I... You know, as much as, you know, if I would have done my own individual anthology, as as much as each of those stories would have complemented themselves, hopefully, I think, I think that some of his stories, you know, either right before or right after mine or vice versa, I think we both actually boost each other's stories up to some degree. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely, you know, like, you know, similar, you know, stories that we have that are paired together, uh, kind of give them each, uh, you know, a little bit more of a deeper meaning. Like, for instance, there's, there's two stories, uh, that we have here. There is, uh, one called Cancer and one called Portrait Under Glass Ceiling. And both of them have to deal with the subject of cancer. And they're just two very drastically different approaches to dealing with it. Portrait Under Glass Ceiling, which was written by my father, um, that's about a man 
who gets essentially the opportunity to rid himself of cancer through some very strange magical means, but is unsure if he wants to continue with his life because he doesn't like what he set forth for himself already. Right. Whereas the other story, mine, Cancer, which also, of course, deals with cancer, is about a guy who has cancer and nobody believes him, so he has to get the knife and do the operation himself. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that That's... Damien's take on cancer is actually very splatterpunk. It's it's actually kind of a comedy story. It, it's it's very yes. splatterpunk, uh, very much like Peter Jackson's uh, Dead Alive or Brain Dead, depending on where you are in the world. Right. Uh, yes. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mine, uh, mine definitely goes more toward the literary, and then yet. Uh, I think we'd kind of do the opposite in a, a couple of cases as well, yeah. though. <laughs> Most I, I tackle a subject and then go, you know, very comedy or splatterpunk or, or you know, something to that effect. And and uh, while well, Damien will take a little more literary take on that particular subject. So Right. And then I suppose just going back to the process then, like, do you keep each other in check? Are you editing each other's drafts? How Who keeps... Uh, I suppose the quality control. Who's in charge of that? Uh, I'll admit that he he does a significant more of it because just I'll I'll admit he's just simply a little bit better of a writer than I am. He's had more experience and thus has more critique to be able to give than I would. That's not to say, of course, that I don't go in and, and read through his stuff and occasionally tear it down and try and make his stuff better as well. I do do that. It just more of that uh, burden falls on his shoulder just because he seems to know the craft a bit better than I do currently. Right. Yeah. I've been publishing for 25 years and then did have, you know, I, I don't know. I initially said almost 20 years for the magazine publication. It was really only about 10, but broken up over 20 years. Right, yeah. right. And, and so, yeah, you know, I've got. 10 years of experience with that and doing some editing for some other, uh, some other stuff too. So, right. So, yeah. Right. So most of that does fall on my shoulders, but, uh, but yeah. he actually has some pretty decent things to say from time to time. So I try yeah. to listen. I can squeeze out a nugget of gold every now and again. <laughs> Excellent. No, cause I suppose between the two of you then, and you don't want to hurt each other's feelings. What's been the, harshest criticism from the outside that you've received so far oh oh boy uh i'm sorry did you say from the outside so removed from us like removed the other people? yeah removed from me not that uh, i want to see throwing punches now by the end but from the outside if someone you know read the book and they said this is an absolute piece of shit why did you bother with that or what has been the harshest so far if there's been any if it's been good that's great but uh what's been the harshest so far, I don't, I haven't actually heard a negative yeah. yet. <laughs> that, that's got to be coming at some point. On the other hand, yeah, I mean, nobody's, yeah, not everybody's bound to like it, and that's totally fine. Everybody each their own opinions. But the few people that we have been able to get it out to who have read it have seemed to have thoroughly enjoyed at least the majority of the stories. The, the harshest critique that I've had with this book as of yet that I've gotten was uh, one of my buddies was reading through it and he got halfway through one of the stories and he says, ah, man, I'm not exactly too digging on it. It's a little bit slow. And then he got to the end and came up to me and said, I take it all back. It was fucking amazing. Right. right. So, 
that's good. That's good. No criticisms. You're you're really having me. I'm like ready to sit down now tonight and read it before bed, nearly. Because I think you uh, gave me the PDF, well, didn't you? We'd be happy to send you a copy. If I, you absolutely, didn't. yeah. Absolutely. If if I didn't, I'll definitely send it to you. Um, uh, I was going to say your uh, your listeners um, can read the first two short stories for free. Yeah, we, we I think on Amazon, definitely on our website. Yeah, if if they go to our website, which is rdark.co, r d d a r k dot c o, there are the stories available there. But on the Amazon webpage, it should actually allow them to go in and preview the first two stories for free on there if they'd like to. Read. Okay, yeah, no, definitely. I'll have the links in the show notes for that one for sure. And then I suppose, are you based in Arizona? Do I have that correct? Did I read that? Yes. Correct. What is the scene like in Arizona? Do you do much, uh, I suppose, conferences or expos or anything like that? It's dead in Arizona, man. We live in small town central Arizona. There is nothing here but Republicans and guns. Do you fall under those two categories as well? Uh, uh, no comment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. No, I I don't know. I have a strange way of looking at things. If I'm a Democrat or if I'm a Republican, then I'm aligning against part of my nation. Yeah. That doesn't seem like a good way to stay united. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the whole two-party thing is just a whole crock. Really needs to get changed, I think. But, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, neither here nor there, I suppose. Uh, America is about dividing and conquering even its own people. What about the freedom and the Second Amendment and the Bible? Is it not going to save America? Uh, yes. mm, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I... I uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're not exactly the foremost no. authorities on this subject. So, so. <laughs> no, I just nothing holds a nothing holds a, a candle to profits here. Nothing. Yeah. 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 No, it does seem to be like ultra capitalistic, in uh, the mega sense of like, if you're sick, is basically you're gonna die if you can't afford it. Is it really as bad as it's made out to be? Um, uh, I mean, it depends on who you ask and how much money they have. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If you ask anybody with money, they're like, what? It's great. It's great. Look at our economy. We're booming. I'm raking it in hand over fist. On the other hand, you're looking in the newspaper, seeing articles that saying half of Americans are having to choose between buying food or paying their bills. Yeah, that's insanity. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? What's scary is, you know, I mean, that's man that's when blood starts to flow and it's like are you kidding me i still got kids i don't want that to happen when i was a teenager i'd have been all for it (laughs) yeah definitely no because i suppose it's strange because i had a working relationship with my father as well and it's always kind of funny when i'm projecting here that your father becomes your peer to a certain extent do you ever find that gets a little bit like blurry with say the boundaries are how do you cope with it hmm i'm not sure how to respond there um i mean yeah but i would definitely say that i, I do yeah, assuming of course that I, I understood the the question here i do see my father as as definitely as my peer i mean when i was younger and you know 
literally half as tall as him. Yeah, he was definitely my, you know, my higher up. But, you know, now that now that I can like actually look him in the eye and be like, hey, I'm going to go buy a you know bottle of booze or whatever. I mean, it doesn't. Yeah. Can I pick you up some? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I with my kids, I tried not to ever take the authoritarian approach. You know, the that familiar old answer of uh, because I said so. I never did that one. <laughs> I did try. Yeah, to... I'll vouch for him there. He never. He was never just like I don't like it, so you can't do it. He actually gave us logical reasons not to do stupid stuff. Yeah, I, you know, there were definitely times when I would say, hey, look, you, you know, this, what you're doing really offends me. On the other hand, I kind of look at it at being a parent this way. My job is to make him and my other kids a functional adult, <laughs> not to fight all their battles, not to tell them what to do. Not, you know, and I mean, the, the way they're going to become their own adult is if they can start learning how to think and reason. Yeah, yeah, you know? of course. So we had a, a strange, I guess maybe a slightly non-traditional uh, relationship. I mean, there were definitely times when I was an authority figure. There were definitely times when I spanked them or grounded them. <laughs> I don't know. I tried to never do that as a gut reaction. I always did try to look at them as actual people, you know, and furthermore people I'm in charge of to make them be people to help my society function better later in life. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I, that was a little muddled, but I think you got what no, I was I saying. Did. I did. It makes sense. So you want to produce citizens that can better the country and form your own militia. <laughs> <laughs> there you go man as soon as we get some money we're going to be doing that <laughs> yeah and damien are you the oldest then in the family or who what's the hierarchy oh, no. i'm i'm actually i am the the second oldest in the family i have an older brother named darby he's he's four years older than i am and he has three kids and i'm like oh i'm so sorry about that uh and i've got Two younger sisters, uh, one that's 14 and one that's 15. They, they're both in high school now, and they're, oh, God, it's weird watching them, like, get older. It seems like yesterday they were in the third grade, and it's like, stop growing, man. That's, ugh. They're going to be taller than me soon. That's weird. <laughs> Mandy is as tall as you. I don't, oh, yeah, yeah. Man, oh, God. The 15-year-old, I'm, I'm 22, the 15-year-old is already almost looking down on me. And it's like, dude, oh. Uh. <laughs> People are asking her permission to take you out, so. Uh, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, pretty, I'm going to have to start asking her to fight my battles pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to call my sister on you if you don't leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. She'll be beating up his girlfriends if they don't. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love uh, low. I can't even talk. I love an old uh, ganging up on the young fella in the conversation here. It's great. <laughs> oh, well, you know, sorry, right. I've been the butt of the joke since 1995. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose we'll try and get a little bit back on topic. Then, where I suppose you have gone through a few films, but where were other influences, maybe from life and experiences? Where are you pulling them from from the books? 
I, I yeah, I was say I had a, a really weird uh, childhood. I uh, was raised in a cult. Um, my parents also moved around all the time. It was like being in the army, but it wasn't like that. I actually dropped out of school when I was 16, and that was my 16th school. Right, right. So, uh, I, man, I, I grew up just observing all these different cultures, basically. You know, you, you do. You move from a Republican state to a Democratic state. You move from a rich state to a poor state. I, you know, I... <laughs> I can, as a kid, I, you know, I'd said my parents uh, lived on the wrong side of the tracks. By the end, not quite so much. Um, we didn't own it, but a friend did. I mean, hell, I lived in a Hawaiian penthouse for a short while in my teens. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I have lived, I've literally been homeless and lived on the streets, and I have literally lived in the places that everybody aspires to and uh i don't know just growing up in the cult i was taught to uh i was actually taught not to value the american system <laughs> and uh i i don't know that's been detrimental for you know in certain ways and yet it's been extremely valuable in others and I think both of those factors, in addition to, uh, you know, the entertainment uh, entertainment influences that I like so much, I, I think it's uh, pretty much a combination of those things that have made me who I am. Right. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. And if you mind me asking, what was the culture? Was it a big known one or... Uh, yes. Yeah. And they're, they're a little... I, I don't know. It's it's the Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, you you are taught to believe that God is going to come bitch slap this earth to death any minute. <laughs> you know that you. Uh, I I don't know. It's it's. Yeah, it's hard to get into. I I can get triggered kind of easy sometimes on this stuff and. You know, I, I don't mind talking about or sharing it because, wow, it's so detrimental. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I just mean negative brainwashing in general. Of course. Um, you know, but the only problem is, I mean, you see that everywhere. I, I got out of that nightmare into this nightmare of seeing, oh, my God, my government does the exact same thing. Yeah. All the successful businesses here in the United States do the exact same thing. They yeah, create marketing and everything. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I mean, it's no wonder everything's falling apart, but uh, mm. you know what? I, I We've got so <laughs> I, I have led myself out of the conversation. What was your question? <laughs> no, the question was what was actually the story with that? But like, it's funny because in Ireland, we see the Jehovah's Witnesses as like just a minor inconvenience. It isn't really big over here. So they're just guys that might come to your door every like five years. And you're like, oh, that's <laughs> strange. Like more a curiosity. Bi-weekly. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit mad. And I suppose my second question then is if you're moving around growing up all the time, how did you 
managed to land in Arizona. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, I was uh, uh, married at the time, and uh, her family uh, uh, needed her to come here, so I just came along. And that's a good story, I, Sunny. <laughs> Arizona, uh, uh, personally. Right, right. And Damon, would you consider then moving for a while, or have you done any traveling? Uh, the vast majority of my life has been spent in this state. I've actually, uh, I was actually born in Hawaii, spent about three months there, and then my mom decided, oh no, let's let's go back to the mainland, and so they they dragged me away from my island paradise. <laughs> I, I came. I probably shouldn't, bitch, but I literally came home from work and it was, family's bought the tickets, they, you know, we're going. It's like, wait a minute. And yeah, so. Yeah, so anyway. I, I, I wound up coming back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We moved out to New Mexico for a little bit, lived there for about five years. And then that's when my mom uh, was like, yo, we're going to Arizona. And then I was like, all right, well, I'm like five. I can't put up a fight. Okay. <laughs> Couldn't have a filthy protest. Probably shake your nappy or something if you were still in them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just one of those. Boy, I have a lot to say about that, but uh, it'd probably be better if we didn't have much to say here yeah. about that publicly. So. Yeah, that's fair enough. I suppose if we were ever having a beer, maybe you could spill a bit more. But we we are trying to keep on topic. So we'll just go back <laughs> to the anthology. There you go. It's just horror stories of a different sort. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what the show is all about. Horror stories in general. Not people have got up to. So there's a little bit of acting in the uh, family there as well. So we need to sort of explore that aspect. Damien, um, we'll start with yourself. Oh, all right. Yeah, sure. I'll go. Okay. All right. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, my first acting foray, I was maybe four or five years old. My dad here uh, was at the Sandstone Amphitheater in Farmington, New Mexico. This is at least the first one that I can remember. Um, we, uh, yeah, I was on stage. I played young Frank, I think was the, the character's yes. name. And I got to sit there. I played marbles for a dude for a minute and then had a couple of lines, something about my sister learning how to use the bathroom. And that was it. I got paid $60 a show and I used that money to get me a Nintendo GameCube. And that was the, greatest thing in the world great call great call i got a gamecube myself back in the day it's very oh, good God. very good call <laughs> thank you yeah ever since that um i had i i didn't really do much acting after that uh until i got into high school and then i got like super into theater for a while uh i did a whole bunch of plays i did arsenic and old lace where i played teddy rose or i'm sorry teddy brewster uh, I played Big Daddy on Cat and Hot Tin Roof. Uh, there was a small play called uh, Inspecting Carol where I didn't. I played a 65-year-old guy who shoved a lemon up his ass. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, and uh, see, so yeah, there was Crimes of the Heart by Beth Henley. I was Doc. There was two more. Uh, Harvey as Elwood P. Dowd and My Fair Lady as Henry Higgins. Super. I, I tell you what, his, his Elwood P. Dowd, his Henry Higgins... And his big daddy, wow, they were amazing. And I, I did mention he had earned scholarships at one point. Those were part of what helped him earn those. Yeah, I actually there was at one point after I, we got finished with Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Uh, so here, here's here's a fun little story. It's a bit of a side tangent, but you're gonna enjoy this. So uh, I was in school one day. It was Friday, or it was yeah, it was Friday, and I was sitting there in my biology class and. 
just all of a sudden the photography teacher comes in and she's carrying a Mr. T doll. And she, she just announces she'd give $20 to anybody who cut their hair like Mr. T. And I told her, you wait until the play's over and then I'll get it done. So <laughs> as soon as the play was done, I went home. I, I had my grandmother shave my head into the mohawk with the little lines across the sides there. And then maybe five minutes later, I got a call from my school principal. And he's like, hey there, Damien. I, 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 I want to ask you a question. I want you to come on down to, the, to the, this uh, school district meeting. And I want you to, to talk with all of them and give, a, give one of those monologues from the plays that you did last night. I want them to uh, try and put a little bit more money over to the theater program. And I say, oh, well, about that, I just, I have a mohawk now. And he's like, ah, fuck it, don't worry about it, just come on down. And so I, I ended up going down to the school district dressed up in my big daddy clothes. I, I had a hat on to disguise the fact that I had a, a mohawk. And I had some makeup on, so it looked like I was like 60 years old. And I just started screaming about the clock in the corner over there. And everyone up on the, you know, in the chairs over there, they're just like looking at me with the weirdest dis just expression on their face. And then finally, I take off the hat, introduce myself, and say, please give us more money for the theater. And then they stand you know, they had a, a standing ovation, and yeah, we we got some more fucking money for the theater, so that was good. <laughs> Superb. And do, do you think you'll come back to acting then? Is this something that you'd pursue on top of the writing? Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if I can get the chance to do some acting, hell yes, I would love to go do some more. The only problem is just in Arizona, there's no film industry whatsoever, and there's like no stage theaters either, so there's not much that I can do. Right, right. You'll see a lot of little theaters come in and then go out really quickly, unfortunately. I've, I've probably learned of three of them, and it's like, oh, awesome, I'm going to go get them before they're gone. And then, no, uh, I'll get in contact with them and say, yeah, we're going to have to fold after this show. Yeah. yeah. I so it, it's just not a very good, we're not in a great area that's conducive for doing it. There's definitely, you know, if you keep your ear to the ground, you can definitely find some gigs. Yeah, of course. And yeah. Rick, yourself then, you have a concept for Grizzled, which you're looking to get off the ground. What is the future hold for the Grizzled project? Uh, you know what it definitely holds is at least a novel. Um, I have finished the novel. I've gotten through, you know, a couple of drafts of it. I'm fairly happy. I'm just starting to look for some beta readers uh, to give me a little bit of feedback. And uh, before I put my final polish on and hope to actually have it published uh, sometime this fall. Super. That sounds good. So, <laughs> gentlemen, I suppose we've... Is there anything I've blatantly missed now this evening that uh, you're dying to talk about? I mean, not particularly. I think we've got more than more. Yeah, just all about all the doubt of the way for us. Yeah, covered uh, covered portraits and bloodlines, politics, uh, militias. You know, we let ourselves away from it. But, oh yes, but that's our fault. <laughs> the, any closing remarks? So on the portraits of in bloodlines jesus i can't even talk guys i'm on a diet i my brain is gone portraits and bloodlines is there any closing remarks for the listeners uh, you know we'd ask uh we definitely ask everybody to pick it up but before you pick it up remember you can go preview it first <laughs> <laughs>
Absolutely. Yeah, we, we, we give it a, we, there's a bit, a bit there, so please take a look before you take a full bite. Mm -hmm. I don't want to cheat anybody out of their money. Uh, well, you know, this day and age, you really have to be thrifty. You got to make sure, you got to make sure you do want to spend your money. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, yeah sure. I, I would absolutely recommend. I, I was going to, you can also, uh, we do have a Facebook page. Um, it should just be, you know, Portrait Facebook portrait and bloodlines you can go there we do uh post blurbs occasionally that do cover each story uh you can also go to our website where there yeah. are blurbs for each story and yeah. we even did something a little bit different um yes. we found some music we thought would pair well with uh certain stories i i have one of my stories is called edge of the world and you have a complimentary wine list as well with that yes that's, that's exactly what we had in mind with it kind of like a pairing list just yeah, to, yeah. yes yeah. exactly exactly so uh yeah if you go to our website you can uh you can even hear a little music that we think would be appropriate to uh each song so great but gentlemen it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Where can people find you online for your personal musings as opposed to the websites? Damien, we'll start with yourself. Oh, God, I, I'm I'm really bad about getting online. I <laughs> He has a Facebook page. I, I have a Facebook page that, you know, I go on like once every month or so. And then, I, I don't know, I, I troll around Reddit every now and again. I like Reddit. <laughs> right, so you have no personal musings. Rick, I know you're actually on Twitter yourself, though. I've seen that floating around the place. Where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, it should just be at Rick Foreman, uh, spelled R-Y-C-K-E-F-O-R-E-M-A-N. Superb. And, yeah, you, uh, you should be able to find me on Facebook as well. Um, we're actually looking to start a YouTube channel fairly soon, but... Uh, we just haven't had the time and we need a little better equipment before we think we can really, really get that going. Right. Sounds good. Well, gentlemen, again, thank you very much for your time this morning. It was an absolute pleasure chatting with you and definitely lots of insights from the book and the personal lives of the foremans. I really did enjoy it. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you, thank Richard. You. We really appreciate you having us on. That was great talking with you, man. Great. And so concludes this week's episode with Damien and Rick. Great bunch of lads. All the links for their stuff will be in the show notes. And for me, I am at the Fear Merchant at everything. And until next time, take care. End of line.